Welcome to the one-year anniversary spectacular of Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I'm Matt Levin, data journalist with Cal Matters, And I'm Liam Dillon with the LA Times. And today on the show, what what do you get for a one-year anniversary? Is I that just, the wood anniversary? I was going to ask you that, too. Yeah. Clearly, well, neither of us are We're slowly melting into the same person, so it's unsurprising. <laughs> yeah, I, but I did get you cake, so uh, that that's something. That was. That was very yeah. nice of you. Yes. Um, so happy anniversary, Matt. Thank you. Happy anniversary to you, Liam. Yes. Aw. So today, this podcast is going to be a little different. It's a mini pod, so it'll just be me and Liam. Uh, we'll be talking about the end of the legislative session and some housing bills that are awaiting the governor's signature and some bills that died, kind of a wrap up of, of what we saw in the last month. And then we'll also be talking about the podcast and lessons learned over the last year, some changes we would like to make uh, going forward um, and kind of housing stories writ large since the podcast has begun. That sounds about right. Sounds like a good plan for today. A couple plugs before we begin. You got anything to plug, Liam? You're uh, globetrotting. So. I, yeah, I'm uh, I'm uh, super excited. Uh, I'm going to be covering uh, very closely the um, Prop 10 uh, rent control expansion initiative. Um, and so I've been doing a bunch of reporting on that. So I'll have a, a number of stories that in the coming weeks will come out to take a deeper look at rent control across the state. So look forward to that. I'm working on a project, again, with uh, NPR reporters around California on the consequences of Prop 13 for one block in Oakland, as this year is another anniversary, the 40th anniversary of Prop 13. I'm incredibly stressed out about it, but it will appear in one way or another at the end of the month. That's great. This is is important. We should be uh, reflecting on the times. We should be. It's important to reflect. Yes. So uh, what do you, what do you get for a 40th anniversary? Is that is that cake too, or is that silver, or um what? I think you get to pay. Uh, you get an assessed value from an assessed <laughs> property value from 1978. That's that's your, what you get. You use your equity to buy an island. Yes, somewhere? exactly. Okay. Yes. A <laughs> uh, programming note. God, I love saying that. One of, one of the perks of being on a podcast. <laughs> we will be back next week. Next week, we had to kind of punt the podcast last week um, because life is busy for both of us and I got sick. So uh, you get a podcast this week of just me and Liam. And then next week, a show that I swear will be devoted to a topic very near and, de- near and dear to me. Liam, why don't, why don't you tell us what will be coming next week, come hell or high water? Yeah, so last year, uh, you may recall um, that the legislature uh, took action uh, to pass 15 housing bills as part of a package uh, to sort of uh, do the, what they call the most they've done in recent memory to address the housing crisis. And we're going to see um, what, what's happened in that year since. Uh, and this was partly the impetus for this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we knew there was a lot of discussion about this, these issues last year. And uh, Matt came to me and said, let's do this. And I said, Matt, I think you have a great idea. And here we are. Here we are today. <laughs> well, I'm a year s- later. I'm so I'm so wedded to this specifically because I think a common glaring hole in all of reporting around the Capitol is we pay so much. How many podcasts did we do about whether the package was going to pass or not? First, I think the three. first three or four. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh-huh. And how many have we done following up on whether it's actually working? Zip. Yeah. 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 And that happens quite frequently. And then 50 years later, 
You write Liam a- Dillon Jr. <laughs> comes along and writes a story about how all of these laws backfired or none of them worked. That That is not what I'm implying about this package. But yes. what I'm saying is yeah. it is important to monitor how this stuff actually plays out on the ground. Or, or if and you don't. I am yeah. going to do that. And if you don't, you end up with feudalism. Cre- creeping feudalism. So, yes. Feudalism creep. Yes. Could be a new term. Not to offend those who are pro feudalism who listen to the podcast. <laughs> All right. So, let us, on the one year anniversary of Gimme Shelter or something close to, let us go to probably the most enduring segment that we've created. What is that? Yeah, it's the avocado of the Fortnite. Could you say avocado weird like you used to? Do I, I really? I feel like you've changed it. I, I, if I if I have, I've uh, maybe it should maybe I'm becoming a Californian. Maybe no, that's what it is. You're not. And then my East Coast drawl is uh, I'm losing it. You know, no more drawl. Mm. Just back to California now. You do seem really relaxed today, and it is <laughs> irritating to me. <laughs> avocado. There you okay. So it's a little back. It's, avocado. It's it's there. So this yeah. avocado comes to us. Um, courtesy of the Mercury News, um, uh, reporter Emily DeRuy. D- that can't be how you <laughs> say her name. Emily DeRuy. You take a guess. Okay. Uh, why don't we back this up? <laughs> yeah. So we don't slander a, a fellow reporter. Uh, well, should, should I should I say who, who flagged this for us? Oh, this this came from this somebody. This came from somebody. Yeah. yeah. Please okay. do. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So this avocado uh, came to us from uh, a Twitter fan of the podcast, uh, Evan Siroki. He is uh, uh, lives in Santa Cruz and follows these issues there, and is a big fan of the pod. And so we're a big fan of Evan for passing along this idea. Yes. Um, Thank you, Evan. Yeah. So this is about uh, an issue near and dear to Santa Cruz. Uh, so. You see Santa Cruz, uh, school year about to begin, fall, kids coming back to school, and mm-hmm. there was some concern about the new students coming into UC Santa Cruz for a very avocado-y reason. Uh, UC Santa Cruz staff uh, sent an email to faculty and other staff uh, asking them, hey, uh, we have a housing shortage here. Would you, faculty and staff, be willing to open your homes to have some students live in them? And I'll, I'll just read directly from the email. The email is fantastic. Let's do this. So this was the email that was sent out. Dear faculty and staff, as you no doubt know, there is a significant housing crisis in Santa Cruz, and I'm writing to you today to see if you may be able to help us address it by offering a room for rent in your home to a UCSC student this fall. We currently have several hundred <laughs> students without housing guarantees on the waiting list for housing and not nearly enough rentals offered in our available community rentals listings to accommodate these students. You may wish to consider offering rental housing in your home for the academic year or perhaps for a shorter period. Uh, I don't know if I don't think I need to go on. To you know, well, yeah, the bottom, you know, the need, the need is real and urgent. Sure. OK. Sure is. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the other backdrop to this is if you, if you can't get student housing in Santa Cruz, you have to live in Santa Cruz, which is incredibly expensive. It is. One of yeah. the most expensive cities in the Bay Area. Yep. And this is a very avocado example of how. The high cost of housing trickles into pretty much every other issue. Totally. Especially higher education in California. Yeah. Higher education, um, you know, we've talked a lot about how housing drives California's high poverty, highest in the nation poverty rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't escape this. It's it's everything. And so um, it even if it even uh, it comes to the point where you have to ask your professors to put their students in their house. Yeah. 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 That's that's. 
less than an ideal college experience. <laughs> Although maybe an amazing college experience. I don't know. It depends on the professor. <laughs> I guess. So th- this is... Although it's an avocado story, yes. this is a very, very real issue Totally, um, for for a couple reasons. One, student debt here in California is, at this point, depending, especially if you go to a, a public school, which right. if, you're, if you're lucky enough to get into a UC, you know, that they're, it's a, still the best public university system in the country and one of the cheapest public university systems in the country when it yeah. comes to tuition, right. your student le- debt levels are going to be motivated by housing costs. Yeah, that's it crazy. Is, yeah, it yeah. is borrowing for the cost of living. And unfortunately, where these UC campuses are, Berkeley, Westwood, La Jolla, right. Santa Barbara, <laughs> Santa Cruz. Irvine, yeah. Santa Cruz, everything pretty much with the exception of Merced right. <laughs> right. Um, are some of the priciest housing markets, even just within those cities, totally. right? Yeah. Um, it's a real problem. So if yeah. you want to cure the student debt problem here in California, you kind of have to tackle the housing crisis first. That, that's an excellent, that was an excellent riff. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So I, I just want to qu- point out quickly, as part of this California Dream Project I've been working on, Vanessa Roncano at KQED has done a couple really good stories about how the high cost of housing has impacted higher education. And I'll just point out a stat that she is this is this is stat so good it could be a number. Yeah, let's use this as the number of the fortnight because okay. we haven't really planned uh, <laughs> all all that well for this podcast. Um, so let's make the number of the fortnight eighty uh, percent. So what's eighty percent, Matt? Ah, uh, man, back in the glory days, uh, Pell Grants, which is a um, federal program um, for low income students, used to cover up to eighty percent of the average cost of going to an in state public university. Okay. Um, now they cover no more than 30%, according to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. It's a big difference. That's a big difference. Yeah. And it, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. Even for those of us born and bred in California, <laughs> with our birthright being a high-quality university education. I'm so excited for you to inherit your Prop 13 house. So that concludes our avocado of the fortnight. And our number of the fortnight. And our number of the fortnight. We kind of wrapped that up in a mm-hmm. real tidy way. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to... The bread and butter, a little bit of this podcast, what happened in the Capitol when it came to housing? So the interesting thing about, like, usually what happens, we might have mentioned this in our prior podcast, is, like, all the big stuff happens on any issue at the end, right? And I think that's really not what happened on on housing. And you remember last year, of course, the big housing package passed at the end, which is in August. And that's not what happened this year. I think all the major housing issues really happened much earlier on. You had the... um, and are going to be happening on the ballot in November, right? Yeah. So you so you had uh, the big debate over the bill that would have expanded, uh, repealed Costa-Hawkins and expanded rent control. That happened, and that bill went away in January. Then in the spring, you had the long debate over uh, Senator Scott Wiener's bill to uh, SBA 27 to uh, allow for greater density around transit stops, and that went away, died in the in the springtime. You had a big discussion over um, over uh, funding, predominantly for homeless housing, then, and that got taken care of as part of the budget. Yep. There was money that was added as part of the budget yep. in June-ish, somewhere around there. Uh, and then there was a push to, to put some other stuff on the ballot. There's going to be uh, four housing measures in the ballot. Costa-Hawkins repeal, expanding rent control, as we mentioned before, the measure from the realtors to um, 
uh, sort of expand Prop 13 tax break for more uh, elderly homeowners and the two bonds to uh, um, sort of expand low-income housing and and homeless housing. And so that's all happening in November. And so you had a really not very big um, August or end of the legislative year for for housing issues. Yes. And and also, I think part of that, too, is there was a major housing package passed last year, right? right? So a lot of those issues, if you put all that effort into what was a very tough uphill climb last year, it's tough to do that the the very next year in the session, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. And then also, this is Governor Brown's last year. So there's, it's kind of a, a, a lot of people are just kind of waiting to see um, what a new administration will mean for housing policy. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but that being said, there were some bills that are interesting. That are interesting and yeah. important and will impact yeah. people's uh, day-to-day lives. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wait, sure. Maybe down the road. Sure. <laughs> maybe down the road. Yeah. So let's let's start off. If you had to isolate what the most, the highest profile and most important bill that actually did make it out of the Capitol this past month, what what would that bill be? Yeah. And I'm going to pick this one, not really because of what it does, but because of what it might mean for the future. Um, so this is Assembly Bill 2923 from Assemblyman David Chu. And what it essentially does is it gives um, the Bay Area uh, uh, rapid transit, right? Is that right? Yes, that's okay. right. BART. Yeah. BART, yeah. More they, California bona fide. Right. <laughs> BART. So uh, AB 2923 from Assemblyman David Chu uh, gives BART authority, BART the transit district in San Francisco, the Bay Area, um, authority uh, essentially to uh, uh, up or down um, on housing projects, um, ultimately. Some more authority than they have now. And so what it does is, it, and, and essentially on land that they own, parking lots to turn that into to turn that into housing. And why I think that's super interesting is because it's, BART is not a city or a county. You know, BART is a transit district. Yeah. And we've had this very long history in California of, of giving final say over housing to cities and counties, period. And this is a step that moves away from it and a step that moves away from it in, in an area where there's going to be a lot of debate about building near transit for a variety of reasons, environmental, housing affordability, you know, all those sorts of economic, all these sorts of things, right? And so this bill uh, barely um, made it out um, of the legislature. And if it hadn't, um, I think it would have um, sent a real clear signal that any sort of major zoning reform like this was uh, would, would be virtually impossible, I think. If you can't do this, then I can't see how you could really do anything in this space. Yes, and kind of parsing uh, what you just said. I mean, I feel like that is a not-so-oblique foreshadowing to when Senator Scott Weiner, as he has vowed, reintroduces something like SB 827 again next year. Again, right. that bill that arguably radically upzone around transit, just like BART, Yep. right? You're saying if this bill had failed, that the prospects for something like SP 827 Redux, that radical zoning reform would be even dimmer. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you can't do this, then you certainly can't do something like something like that. Yes. And not to mention that um, this bill, although a state bill, right. obviously only applied to a specific region. Right? Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so legislators from, let's say, Southern California or maybe Central California or any other part of uh, California where BART does not extend – they're not going to hear from their constituents in the same way um, legislators will hear from their constituents when SB 827, the redux, comes around again. Exactly. One other 
point about AB 2923, it was repeatedly pointed out to me um, by some California YIMBY folks, the legislator who was basically carrying the bill in the Senate, Mike McGuire, um, a senator from the North Bay who represents Marin County. And Liam, why don't you tell us why I kept getting emails about that? Well, Marin is is seen as um, sort of the most one of the most slow growth areas in the whole state. Yeah, um, you know, I did a story at the end of last year about how they're uh, the most segregated county um, in California, and uh, predominantly driven by uh, housing issues, and also one of the most expensive um, in the county, predominantly again driven by housing issues. And so, and they just don't, they just don't like growth. Period. Yes, um, and, and so huge fans of local control. Huge fans of local S- control. A sacrosanct principle. Indeed, it is, and they you are like pe- sacrosanct. I love that word. Um, and they, you know, they will talk to their representatives uh, about legislation. You know, super highly educated, super liberal population there that are engaged on a local level and on a state level. And so it is interesting um, that the the guy carrying this bill um, on the Senate side was a representative from that area. Yes, and we should mention that obviously. For those unfamiliar with the Bay Area, um, or maybe non-native Californians like Liam, uh, BART does not extend to the North Bay. Um, all right, let's move on to a handful of other bills that um, we deemed uh, important enough for the podcast. No offense to bills that did not make this. Please don't send me emails. Um, let's move to SB 828, a bill from Senator Scott Weiner that got a little watered down. Oh, actually... AB 2923 awaiting yeah. the governor's signature still? Yes. I so and the the presumption is that he will sign this. I mean, you know, it's it's you never know um and he they're very sort of careful the governor's office about tipping their hands. Yes. Uh, but there's no indication that he's not going to sign. Okay. Now, let's move to SB 828, a bill by Senator Scott Weiner. Yeah, so at the beginning of the session, I, you know, I wrote a, a story about this bill because I thought it, it would be, you know, sort of the, the kind of the under-the-radar um, uh, answer to SB 827, which is getting a ton of attention. Th- this bill um, initially would have required cities to zone a significantly amount, amount more land for housing than they do now. Um uh, and uh, sort of as part of their process to um, meet state housing goals. Uh, and so the bill ultimately didn't do that. Um, but what d- it did do is it sort of tries to tell cities that, look, you need to look more at market, um, what the market actually is when you're zoning this land, and the state will take that much more into account than it does now. Also, if you're historically been a city where you don't have a lot of production, that doesn't mean that in the future you're going to be zoned, you know, required to zone for less housing. And so it sort of looks at this process, which, you know, is uh, I did a big takeout on this last year, um, which has been super convoluted and not effective at encouraging the amount of development that needs to happen in the state simply to keep pace with population growth, which is what this process is supposed to do. This is supposed to make that pro- basically in in a in a roundabout way require more land to be zoned um uh across the state for for housing to you know encourage that production to to come okay yes. now let's move very quickly uh AB 686 uh, Miguel Santiago's bill what, what would you call this the Ben Carson fight the yeah. Something with Ben Carson bill. Yeah, it's, an, it's this is sort of in the line of California versus Trump. This is the housing version of that. Um, uh, under President Obama, there was an effort to um, sort of push cities to um, 
uh, put anti-segregation plans uh, as part of a tying that to getting federal funds. Um, th- and then Ben Carson has signaled uh, now that he wants to roll that back. Uh, and so this, those Obama-era housing rules now have to be put now are now in state law, or if the governor signs it, they will be under the Santiago bill. And that would require cities to have um, anti-segregation plans as part of their housing, housing plans they give to the state. And now AB 1919, I'll take this one. Yeah. Uh, this was a bill by Assemblymember Jim Wood from the North Bay right. that basically prohibits price gouging in the wake of an emergency. Obviously, this is tied to um, the North Bay fires that ravaged parts of his district, mm-hmm. um, but basically making it illegal to significantly raise rents um, in an area where an emergency has been declared. There are already laws in this to this effect, but this uh, this this bill would strengthen those. Yes. Mm-hmm. And finally, AB 2162, uh, yet another bill from uh, Assemblymember David Chu, um, which would speed the process, uh, sorry, would speed the process for permitting and building uh, supportive housing for people experiencing homelessness. Yes. Um, and there is a companion bill that he uh, wrote um, that particularly targeted the city of Los Angeles um, with respect to homeless housing as it works. And this is AB 829, which also passed uh, this bill. Um, so L.A. has this practice whereby city council members essentially have a pocket veto on homeless housing in their district. Uh, uh, by They have to put forward a letter to say, OK, you guys, you developer can move forward with your project before it would even get to the city council in order to tap uh, a bunch of city new city funds that voters had approved. And Chu's bill says no, 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 no. Uh, you can't get state funding for your housing project, which is, uh, of course, essential to those projects moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a, a, a system like L.A. does but that has these so-called letters of acknowledgement, these so-called pocket vetoes. And so uh, this, was, this was an interesting bill, I think, in part because of the politics, because you rarely have like a Bay Area legislator taking on L.A. or vice versa. And that's what happened here. Chu is on this list a lot. Yeah. What, what do you make of that? I think it's uh, a number of things. Um, I think, um, you know, uh, it's interesting, you know, really, uh, particularly San Francisco legislators, but really all around the Bay Area, you have pretty much every legislator taking a a swing at trying to do something housing related. Yes. And that, of course, speaks to, I think, the the massive problem uh, in the Bay Area and the intensity of the housing problem in the Bay Area. And so it's not shocking that he would be involved in this way. But I think also, I mean, he's a chair of the Assembly Housing Committee. Um, he's one that is able to use that position to to put forward a number of bills. And and I think um, also he benefited, um, particularly with the, with the BART bill, uh, if Wiener's bill on SBA 27 was not around, uh, I think it would have been a tougher road for the BART bill to pass. Um, okay, let's now turn to a couple bills that actually didn't make it out of the Capitol last month. Um, and let's begin with, well, actually, did you introduce a resolution to rename ADUs? Was that something that you had? Yeah, well, I don't even know why you even said those three letters. Mm. Uh, it's officially now... Is it officially now? I mean, it's officially. I'll just declare L.A. Times style is going to be Casita and (laughs) and uh, we'll see how far that goes. Um, But these are these backyard houses uh, as as uh, Casita as as now is official in the L.A. Mm, Times. Yeah. And so uh, these are, you know, there was a bill from Assemblyman Phil Ting that would have sort of fur- Yet another San Francisco legislator. Indeed, that would have further streamlined um, the permitting process um, uh, and, and, and uh, restricted local um, rules for sort of blocking uh, these sorts of uh, housing projects, which, um, to, be, to be fair, I mean, and maybe we'll talk about this more next week, uh, but 
to my knowledge, sort of the bills that have spurred the legislative action that has spurred the most actual housing production uh, have been bills that have been trying to promote these casitas, yes. you know, up and down the state. Yes. Um, and so this would have uh, furthered that effort and it was held. Yes, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, at some point, we'll do a podcast just about casitas. Yes. Um, which will not be titled the Casita Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little house. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. I don't I, I don't know. I feel like there's there's still a better term out there. Anyway. Uh, actually, do you want to just talk real quickly about why state legislation actually has been pretty immediately effective so far in, in spurring construction on this? And I think a lot of it has to do with the immediate incentives um, for the people that would actually construct or convert ADUs, right? Yeah, so there's, I mean, uh, there's a pent-up demand, um, I think, certainly, um, yeah. for A, for housing, uh, and B, for people wanting to, you know, make some revenue off their off their house, Yes, right? With I mean, the insane mortgage that they're paying a, for it. Exactly, particularly newer homeowners, right? Yes. Uh, and they're very high new new homeowner property taxes. Uh, so this is a way to make some of that back where there's huge demand for, for it. Um, and so if you start doing things like um, saying, yeah, you can't, you know, all your minimum lot line arguments or it's going to cost you, you know, a uh, million dollars to hook up to the sewer system or the water system or all those sorts of rules that cities had uh, cities had prior to these sort of permitting reforms and streamlining zoning reforms that the state passed, uh, once they went away, um, then, you know, the, the production is there. Also, I think um, I'm really interested in uh, there's a number of companies that are now sort of uh, starting, I think, either as a response to both the demand but also the, the, the legislation mm-hmm. that basically says, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll knock on your door and says, hey, you want a casita, we'll do the whole thing for you, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and that's sort of a, an interesting model. Someone was ta- talking to me about this um, a while back where you'll know these casita things have really hit and are really going to be a thing when they're as prevalent as the companies and companies that knock on your door and say, hey, we'll put solar panels on your roof, hmm. you know. And so uh, we saw that a ton yeah. um, over the last you know, previous number of years um, in California. A bunch of companies have sprung up to do it. You see their trucks running around everywhere, right? Yeah. And so, it, you know, if and when, and um, uh, Casita's development or Casita companies reach the same level, you'll really see, I think, a, a, a boom in construction in that area. And I think those 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 companies function best, of course, when there's regulatory certainty and regulatory similarity up and down the state. Yes, which which there is not yet. No, um, but things have improved in that direction. Yes. Ironically, this is something literally in a homeowner's backyard, yes. literally in a homeowner's backyard yes. that they are have a financial incentive to support, right? right? So yeah. as opposed to let's build a multifamily apartment building right next to you where you know, you you're not going to see any immediate economic gain from that right. and it might cause some problems in your life, uh, parking, congestion. You may think, you may think it will. You yeah. may think it will, right. yes. Yeah. Arguably in some circumstances it would. Right. Um but here it's oh I get to subsidize my mortgage because I get to rent out my casita in the in the uh, in the backyard right and, so it's something where homeowners many homeowners not all sure. but many homeowners will be naturally on the side of easing regulatory restrictions to produce new housing and perhaps you get to make a friend. Let's move to Senator Glazer, a Democrat from Orinda. His bill that would expand the renters' tax credit, which also met a demise last month yes um sure so yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you want do you want me to well i, yeah, I can do this real quick yeah do, do, a, do a quick riff yeah. okay great mm-hmm. so 
if you are a renter and you're pretty much a low income to kind of moderate income in, in California, um, you you are eligible for a renter's tax credit. It is meager. I think it's like sixty bucks or right. something like right, that. Right, right, don't right. don't quote me exactly on that, yeah. but it's something like that. Yeah. It's not gonna. It's not the earned income tax credit. It's no. not gonna magically you know bring you above the poverty line. Right. This, of course, is in contrast to the hefty tax benefits that homeowners get. And we've seen this discussed um, at the federal level, especially recently. Yes. Um, so Glazer's bill would have expanded, I think, both eligibility for the credit and the credit itself did not make it out of the legislature. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, I mean, I mean there's a there's there's a long line of 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 when things cost money, they're harder to do. A. Yes. And, and B, I think something that people don't understand about the state structure that is weird and prob- and really is problematic about these sorts of kind of things that tax credit here, tax credit there or whatever it is, is that it takes a majority of the legislature to pass any tax credit. But it takes a super majority of the legislature to end any tax credit. Mm. And so there are a lot of folks, um, particularly these are sort of staff members and, and people who have long memories here at the Capitol that say, no, 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 no tax credits at all. Don't pass them because 10 years from now when we realize, hmm. oh, man, what a horrible decision that was, hmm. we can't end it. Hmm. And so um, I know that a lot of local government advocates sort of feel the same way about this. They have a principle to say no to, to, to new tax credits because it, they're really nearly impossible to unwind. All right. So that's a wrap-up of the legislative session. Any, any kind of broad takes from the the year overall the bills that did make it out last month any any patterns you discern dispense some wisdom so i like i mentioned at the top um i think the big uh, you know we saw a lot of action on housing issues at the beginning of the year and we're going to see a lot more at the end of the year uh, on the ballot and i think what happens in the ballot and also what happens in the governor's race um is going to tee up potentially a really big year on housing issues next year. Yes. Um, and the direction that that will go, I think, will depend very much on what happens at the ballot um, in, in, in November. But um, at least with respect to the, the next governor, you know, both of them have pledged supercharged housing numbers, um, you know, 300,000 new units a year for John Cox, the Republican, um, and then 500,000 new units a year from Gavin Newsom, uh, the Democrat. And so um in order to meet those re- very robust goals, um, that that governor is going to have to, um, you know, take on policy on, on housing issues in a way that we did not see this year. And frankly, um, as we'll talk about next week, we didn't see last year either. A, a couple kind of smaller takeaways for me. One we've already referenced a little bit, which is the prominence of Bay Area and specifically San Francisco legislators in championing housing legislation. I think there's it's kind of a double-edged sword on the one hand, of course, right? The housing crisis is inarguably the most severe in places like San Francisco and the Bay Area writ large. The flip side of that is you heard it. You you heard this argument trotted out um, with AB 2923 and with SB 27 solutions coming from the Bay Area, people may feel are not appropriate for other parts of the state, Yep, which is not just a housing, not just a housing argument, right? There's a lot of, you know, okay, that may work in the Bay Area because of cultural or economic or other kind of particularities about the Bay Area, but don't export that to the rest of California. Yeah. Well, on that, and if, you know, Newsom, who's the, the favorite, yes. um, you know, wins the governor's race, then you have another Bay Area um, guy um, in charge of this. And so, 
you know, you might not, there might be some resistance from folks in, folks in Los Angeles to sort of the housing idea factory coming out of San Francisco. Yes. And then uh, lastly, something that's missing from this list, no revenue, right? Yep. There, no money bills. That was something that both of us expected not to happen anyway, because uh, it's an election year. There was a huge push last year. That's right. why there's a, a housing bond on the ballot, right? Um, in November, yeah. And it's really yeah. difficult to get those votes because they're two-thirds votes. Right. But still notable, right? None of this is none of this is going to the con- to money to the construction of affordable housing specifically. Well, I I, I do want to push a little bit. I mean, there was money in the budget that was put in to oh, that's yeah, I mean, true. over over a billion that, dollars, yes. right? So No, so, you're right. Yeah, so there was money, right. but but to sort of to your point, yes, like that's one-time money that's going to go away. You're There's right. not ongoing funding that I think most people believe if you look at the numbers would be necessary to support a sort of an ongoing robust program to subsidize uh, housing here. All right, let's talk about us. Your favorite topic, Lance. <laughs> it's it's been a year, man. We've yeah. done this for a year. Yeah. Did you think we'd make it this far? N- no. Me uh, neither. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I've been really um, honestly humbled by uh, the reaction from, from, from folks who have been um, really supportive. We get a ton of emails, people asking yeah. us to, to sort of explain things. We do the best we can over email and, and try to do the best we can in um, – uh, and you know, meting them out uh, or debating them here um, yes. on the podcast. Uh, we also do, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's difficult for us to get some of the, to some of, to some of the ideas that you guys raised, which are all great, but would require a ton of new reporting. Yes. And, and those are sorts of things that are difficult for us to do given our other daily responsibilities. And so we have kind of limited a lot of this to the kind of things that we're writing about because we know them the best. Um, but hopefully in the future we can expand that to getting at some maybe some more comparative, you know, yes. uh, stuff that I think a lot of people ask us to do. What's the difference between here and Seattle? We did a podcast on that. Which was very popular. Which is, yeah, but like maybe looking more at other policies around the state or looking perhaps more to the federal government uh, for what they're trying to do. Some interesting things happening there now. And so, yeah, um, we'd love to get into, into stuff like that in the future. Yeah, and please do continue to email us. We do respond. Um, I'm now thinking of an email I have not responded to about Prop 5, the Prop 5 episode we did. But I think that's the only one. <laughs> so anyway, we do respond and we do you know, take your questions and your suggestions seriously. And it is just gratifying to, to, to read them. On that note, I'm, I'm getting bored. I want to introduce some type of new segment to the podcast. We will retain the avocado of the Fortnite. Yeah, that, yeah the numbers are dicier. Numbers are a little dicier. Yeah, but the uh, avocado is, I mean, it, yeah, its popularity can, is unassailable. stratospheric. So... <laughs> Um, if you have ideas for segments that you'd be interested in, let us know. Tweet at us, email us. Some of the suggestions I've gotten, setting up a voicemail where people can call and just com- describe their most insane housing situation. That's I don't know how many people would participate in that, but it's yeah. an interesting idea. Yeah. Doing something where I dissect a housing-related study and try to explain it in less than seven hours. <laughs> something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, let us know what you'd actually be interested in. Do you have any ideas, Liam? No. Yeah. No. Not yeah. really. Yeah. Well, we know where the creative <laughs> impulse for the comfort. podcast comes from. <laughs> Finally, what is kind of floating underneath that we haven't talked about enough over over the last year when it comes to housing? So I I think we've talked about this, but I see this as the conversation that's going to be happening over the next decade in California. Um, and it's the tying of the state's environmental goals 
with its um, housing issues. And I don't think that that's going to weigh, going away. You know, I did a story last spring that says the state is not going to meet its very robust environmental goals, uh, you know, reducing greenhouse gas emissions 40 percent. Uh, below 1990 levels by 2030 without a significant increase in housing production near uh, transit uh, to get people out of out of cars, using cars less. We actually have to have a net reduction in people in miles driven despite an increase in population. And so those lines, those curves are going to become explicitly clear, I think, to people as we get closer to 2030. And uh you know, we're going to have to do something about that. And that and that could mean we decide our environmental goals are things we can't meet, right? Like that's certainly a possible outcome. Um, and at this point, probably a probable outcome. Um, but I think as that becomes clearer to the general public and becomes clearer to legislators uh, and becomes clearer to other policymakers, those are the kind of conversations you're really going to have to have in earnest that we haven't really had here yes. uh, in, in a really robust way. Yes, and a conversation that will depend a lot on... Uh, the new administration. Indeed. And what their priorities are. Right. So something I just want to flag, we have seen some signs in recent months of a dip in the housing market, um, both on the single family home side and on the rental side. Mm -hmm. Um, And by dip, I mean a marginal decline in prices, right? right? So, so why is that important? I think that's important in a couple ways. On the rental side, It'll be interesting to me to see how successful the argument is that these prices are lower because we've built more housing right. over X over the last year, over right. the last two years, whatever. Right. Right. That is, to me, a crucially important argument for those who want further reforms to make as evidence of success. Right. Mm-hmm. Look yeah. at Seattle. Right. Look at even Sacramento here recently. There was a 2% increase, I think, year over year in rents, which is significantly lower than it was the last two years, the last two years right. exactly, where yeah. it was increasing at, I think, like 7% a year, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. one of the highest rates in the country. Right. And experts have attributed it to the massive amount of new construction that has been going on here. Relatively massive. Rel- yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Massive yeah. is too strong a right. word, uh-huh. but at least increased levels of production, yes. right? Uh-huh. That argument needs to sink in, I think, with the the public writ large, and I don't know if it has, right? And I don't, and and again, I think you know, um, if people continue to see uh, housing uh, that they feel is being only built for rich people, um, even if that you know the 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 condo in San Francisco that they originally thought, or rather the apartment in San Francisco, they originally thought they were going to get nine grand a month, and now because there's a glut of nine grand a month apartments, only charges seven. Like I don't know if the general public sort of sees that as a win. Yes. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. The the flip side of that is, and I think this is more true of the single family home market, if prices drop to a, a more significant degree there, does the pressure on these types of reforms ease, right? Like if, if housing becomes more affordable, right? Right. Does does the all the political pressure for significant changes to housing laws, does that does that somewhat dissipate if this is not at the top of everyone's mind? I think that's definitely more true of the single family home market right. than it is of the rental market, but I still think it's something interesting to monitor going forward. Well, and that's tied, I think, very uh, tightly with whatever the next economic downturn is exactly. going to be, and what that looks like exactly. for, for housing. Remember, the last you know the last one was very much driven by housing, exactly. And the legislative response was we need to do something about all these foreclosures, right? And and so you know, and the boom has been oh, 
we need to do something about all these rising housing prices. And so how the downturn affects uh, uh, connected to housing, which it will be in some way, and what it, how that changes the housing argument, obviously will change um, how people respond to that politically. Huge, hugely important. All right. Anything else? No. Thank you again for listening, um, especially those of you who stayed with us in the early years when the- Early years, early months. <laughs> We're not that old. Yeah. <laughs> In the early months when we did not have a studio was, and we were doing this over Skype calls. Yeah. And it was not not the best quality. Started from the bottom, Liam. <laughs> Started from the bottom. <laughs> All right. That's it. So uh, I am Liam Dillon, and you can reach me on Twitter at, at, at Dylan Liam. And I'm Matt Levin, and you can reach me on Twitter at, at M Levin Reports. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>